Hey guys, it's Ken. I wanted to share a quick word with you about our new sponsor, OfficerPrivacy.com. Hey, did you know that all your information is all over the internet? Your home address and even cell phone numbers? This is a problem for you and your family as a police officer or applicant. Just do a quick search on the internet. You're going to find all kinds of news articles about anti-police groups showing up at officers' homes. We have to do everything we can to protect our families from these groups. Check out our friends at officerprivacy.com. Using their free software, you can remove your private info from the internet in about an hour, or you can have their team of Leos do the work for you. I highly recommend them. So go to officerprivacy.com forward slash PAP, PAP for the Police Applicant Podcast. That's our special code, guys, officerprivacy.com forward slash PAP and sign up today. It'll be the best thing you can do for you and your family. So let's get to today's episode. Live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast. This is episode 81. And uh, 81, I don't know which, if it's the last episode or we got one more episode left for. 2023 we're going to be heading into season season four season four and here doing his thing is uh donovan heavener what's happening donovan nothing what's going on man i'm getting ready to, getting ready for season four yeah and you guys can't see it but donovan you know we have these little backgrounds on our uh on our screens and uh Donovan's got a blue line flag with Christmas trees around it. Very festive. I didn't, you know, I didn't think ahead of time on that, but way to go, Donovan. That looks good. Um, I had to come in strong today. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas season. So Donovan and I have something really cool coming up for one of our subscribers for Christmas, our Christmas gift to you. We're going to be choosing. We're not going to choose. It's going to be one random a subscriber is going to be able to put your your name in the uh, in the hat, and then we're going to pick one for a one hour one hundred dollar uh, PHS review. So that's coming up here, and uh, our subscriber base is getting really big. So we're really happy about that. But I think that's all I have for announcements. Donovan, you have anything? Uh, I really don't have anything. You've got some cool stuff coming up this I month, do. and then twenty twenty four starts a really cool time for you uh so we'll get a little more into that uh, you know as the, as the year goes on but uh anyways i want to get to our uh, to our guest uh scott stone uh from uh formerly of uh el paso sheriff's department colorado and scott has a officer survival story and some other things that are going on with him but it was really important. I just want to frame this ahead of time in that we did a story with Rachel Flick about the death, the uh, line of duty death with her husband, Micah, uh, the person that was standing next to, uh, to uh, Micah when he was shot and killed was Scott. And we want to get into this a little bit because there's, I didn't realize at the time till I started researching it, that there is a part two 
to this to this story and Scott is that part two and there's a lot to there's a lot to uh, talk about here so Scott welcome to the podcast thanks for having me Ken I appreciate it man yeah and I've been I've been talking to Scott on the phone and man you just a, you're just a cool guy man. it's just it it when it comes to to this type of incident uh, both you and Donovan. Donovan, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the similarities between uh, Scott and uh, Donovan in the show. And I'm just going to kind of bow out a little bit during portions of it. But uh, uh, you both have been shot, and there's there's aftermaths of it. We want to tell our our audience about uh, you know it's not it's not Hollywood movies. You know, and I wish it was done in now. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to get into that a little bit, but let's do an intro to uh, Scott. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into police work and all that. Yeah, man. So actually I come from a long line of law enforcement. Uh, My grandfather was actually a police officer in New Orleans. He was killed in 92 or excuse me, 72. um, And he was a motorcycle cop. So uh, my dad joined the military, uh, moved out here to Fort Carson. Colorado Springs has five arm or five military bases around us, so it's just it's insane. We have a ton of military; it's crazy. Uh, he met my mom while he was out here. He uh, worked for Fountain PD for a while out here, which is a suburb of Colorado Springs, uh, and then he uh, eventually moved over to the sheriff's or the El Paso County Sheriff's Office, uh, where he spent uh, over twenty five years with them. Um, so I grew up in a, that law enforcement type, uh, community in that law enforcement type sense. And, um, I ended up working for a few smaller agencies, uh, here in Colorado Springs, and then went to the sheriff's office when a tax initiative in 2013 passed, uh, where they just need a lateral deputy. So I put in for it and I got, uh, selected for it. My sister eventually came on, uh, to the sheriff's office about a year later. So she worked for the El Paso County Sheriff's Office as well. Um, and I've had, I've had cousins, I've had aunts, uncles and law enforcement. It just, it definitely, we are definitely one of those families where it just runs deep in our family. I just have uh, a bunch of cousins. I have, uh, aunts and uncles who are in law enforcement and everything. Uh, and yeah, so it just, it, we, those families that it just, it runs deep within our family that we just are all about law enforcement and everything. Um, I did have one cousin who became a hose dragger, which I love. I love him dearly, but <laughs> we'll have to say that, right? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. If he would have scored a few more points on the test, he could have. He could have been a cop, but you know, well. if, if there were no firefighters, we'd have no jokes. So, right, exactly. <laughs> so. Sure. Um, yeah, so the I, I think one of the funniest things is I always wanted to be um I, I actually when I first got into law enforcement, I wanted to go federal. Um and then I saw how much work it was and I was like, Nah, I think I I'm I'm just gonna stick a local and then I ended up working when I was working in at the sheriff's office, I worked a couple of times with the DEA guys and the task force guys and I was like, Yeah, I feel like I still have the better better end of the stick on that. So I was like, All right. So it was fun. It was cool. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much me. And in a, in a nutshell, I did uh, 
went through my law enforcement career, I did everything from patrol to uh, we called it the uniform gangs and narcotics teams. Um, and then I did auto theft task force with Micah. Um, and I got to be a detective for a little while. I got to do like missing persons, homicide. I did a lot of off-screen shooting stuff. Um, out here in Colorado, they passed a law where an outside agency actually has to investigate any time um, officers involved into a shooting now. So, uh, so I was part of that team for a long time. Um, so it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. I had, I had tons of fun. Um, our gang laws are way different than like California. Mm. So, uh, so we had to, we had a lot of different expectations and stuff like that. Um, where they're just, they're not as harsh on gang members out here in Colorado. So we had to find new ways and invent new ways of how to really keep after the gang members and do things. So it was a lot of fun. And also one of one of the craziest things about our gangs out here is, you know, like in California, it's like if you're a crip, you hang with crips. That's what you don't mix and that kind of thing. Here in Colorado, you could literally pull over a car with like Serenios, Crips, um, <laughs> Nortenos, and like you're like, what are you? And they're like, we're our own gang. And you're like, then you're not a crib. Like, don't know. <laughs> Dude, it they all they cared about was money. And so it was it was super crazy. But you know, whatever. It is what it is. So mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's how I did it. So I had fun with it and enjoyed it a lot. You know, that is pretty cool. I know Colorado leans, <clears throat> leans blue. And uh, I would have to say that is the, that's a prime example of inclusivity is when you can get oh, yeah. bloods and crips and <laughs> serenios and all these people are out together, man, kumbaya, because we can all get along. Oh yeah. They loved it. They, <laughs> it, it made everybody like we would go to gang conferences and like for national stuff. <laughs> And they're like, we're seeing these hybrid gangs where they're, we have Crips and Bloods hanging out together. And they're like, you're oh. stupid. That's not a gang. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm sorry. I remember back in the 90s in L.A., there was some kind of something. when I don't know if it was because of the riots or whatever, but but there was some kind of uh, these gangs, the Bloods and Crips, called a truce. Like, there's some kind of freaking countries, you know, and there was like this big deal, the gang truce. Like mm-hmm. it, that, and, that, and, and anywhere else you go, you guys are like, you're going on the news and they're saying how they're shooting each other in public. And it's like news that they're calling this truce, man. This is not cool. <laughs> it's not cool what you do. So, um, yeah. So I, I want to, uh, I'm going to have, um, I'm going to have Donovan pick this up a little bit, kind of a change up in here because, I want to get into the the incident with uh, with you and Micah, and um, I think that there's some ins and outs of 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 a police shooting that maybe Donovan probably has a, a lot more knowledge of how that all goes. But uh, my opening question on this is: You worked with Micah. Uh, obviously, you were working a, a task force um, on the day of the incident where uh, Micah was shot. Tell us about him as a partner. We heard from Rachel. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about him as a partner. And then Donovan, I'm, I'll just have you pick it up from there. Okay. Yeah. So Micah was an awesome dude. And I know we, we, we always say don't speak ill of the dead and that kind of thing, but Micah was actually one of those guys. You wanted him as a partner. 
Um, he would give you the shirt off of his back if he could, if he could. Um, so we had a quote unquote mini riot here in Colorado Springs, basically some, uh, kids, uh, high schoolers from different high schools and everything were causing like this huge problem at one of those pop-up carnival type things here in town. Um, and it was us, it was CSPD. It was a bunch of other agencies. We're all responding and we're all trying to get, um, get, uh, organized and that kind of thing to figure out how we're going to shut this thing down. And Micah was one of the dudes who actually stood up and like helped everybody. Cause he had a bunch of training cause he was, uh, SRT special response team in the jail. So he had, uh, training and dealing with riots, dealing with, um, out of control situations. And like, he, I remember him walking in front of us, just like lining us up telling, Hey, do this, you do this, you do this. And that kind of thing. And like, he, no, he was a deputy. He was a road deputy in, in charge of anything and that kind of thing. And the sergeants were following him. He was like, Hey, I got this. And like that, that was just his personality. So he was all, he was always willing to step up um, when he went to detectives Nobody was shocked. Um, so he um, he got to he did some sex crime for a while at the sheriff's office. That's how you kind of start off. You start off doing sex crimes and then you can move into financial um, or you can move into other stuff. And he started. Doing, um, it's not how we got onto the battle team, auto theft through law enforcement um, here. Um and that's how, when we started going looking for stolen cars and everything. But he was just always working hard. He was a man. He was a Christian. Um, he was very open about his faith, which I thought was super cool. Um, and just a testament to him and his family life and everything. And um, he just he was awesome. Uh, I will tell you this. And uh, every now and then uh, some guys are like, don't mention that. Um Whenever we got into doing the battle ops, we got to dress down. So we got to let, at least we're like, like regular, we were plain clothes, but we were, had to like wear pants and like uh, shirts and everything. And Micah went to like the store and bought like the biggest, baggiest clothes that he could because he wanted to fit stuff. <laughs> and if you've seen Micah, he is like ghostly white. So it was really funny watching <laughs> this dude run around with like these huge, like three X clothing and like, we're like, Oh, you poor man. Like, and he loved listening to gangster rap, which was funny too. So we're sitting in this car. But I'm like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to get shot just because Mike is in the car. Like people are going to be like, Oh, so, but he was, he was a good, he was an awesome dude. I loved it. I loved working with him. So it was, it was definitely interesting. So, uh, just very down to earth guy. The new vanilla ice, <laughs> oh, dude, in so many ways. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, um, so you and Micah were involved in a shooting on February fifth, two thousand eighteen. Can you take us back to that incident and and tell us what happened? Yeah. So, um, like I said, we were doing uh, what's called beat auto theft through law enforcement, and it was called the battle team. Southern Colorado, a bunch of agencies would get together, usually about once a week or so, and we would just scour um, towns for cars. So we would go down into Pueblo. We would go down to, like, uh, Canyon City, if you know the Southern Colorado geography a little bit. Um, And a lot of times we would sit in Colorado Springs because that's where a lot of our chop shops and other stuff are. So we would... We do a lot of stuff in the Springs area. 
so uh we dressed down for it no it's all plain clothes that kind of stuff we would have over vests and that kind of thing for when we were doing takedowns and everything um micah and i were paired with one other dude in a um in a unmarked car a nissan armada so we would um a part of our battle team um because we work so closely with the insurance agencies and everything they would give us cars that were quote unquote totaled out so usaa would actually send us cars um they sent us like a couple trucks couple armadas different things um this one had a um emissions leak that it was leaking into the car so by the end of the day we all had headaches (laughs) why are we driving this thing oh my gosh Anyways, so, uh, yeah, dude. Uh, so we were we were running around. We found a stolen car that morning. We tagged it. Uh, we called the owner. Owner was cool with us following it for a while. We did a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so, and then it started moving. So we went and followed him around for a while. Uh, and so we, uh, and I'll tell you another funny story, funny part of this story. So uh, it got to be about lunchtime. And we were all trying to decide where we wanted to eat. And we knew the sergeant uh, in charge of the team that day would want to go to Jason's Deli. And Micah was like, no, I want to go to Bad Daddy's. I want a burger. Because um, he wasn't supposed to. He, he would try not to eat out when he was home with the kids and everything. But when it was battle days, he would like he would want like a burger, like the mm-hmm. biggest, fattest burger he could get. And so we were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. But now nah, Kevin ain't going to be go for it, dude. And he's like. No, we just need to tell him we're going to go to Bad Daddy. So I'm like, I don't think it's going to work that way. <laughs> so sure enough, we go to Jason's Deli. And <laughs> Micah get, gets in line for food. We all, like, I order a sandwich. A few other guys order sandwiches. We're like, whatever. It's what it is. Micah got this, like, spinach salad. And it was, like, literally just spinach and a few, like, other little vegetables and he's sitting at the table drinking water and eating the spinach salad and we're like oh are you sad because you didn't get your burger he's like i don't want to talk about it uh. <laughs> and so we're like oh he's so sad we should have got him a burger so we were joking like we were going to stop at mcdonald's or like stop on the way home and grab a bad daddy's for him or something he's like it is what it is it is what it is. and then we're like oh he's brooding <laughs> so and that comes that'll come into play later so keep that in mind but uh so we get the call that the car's moving and that kind of thing so we go start chasing it around and just like trying to figure out where this guy's going so i'm doing a whole bunch of stuff finally got to the point where he parked in a um parking lot of a, an apartment complex and normally if they park and get out we try not to let them get back to the car so um he goes into this apartment or we thought he did it so micah and i Hop out of the car with a few of our other guys. We decide, hey, we're going to take him down in this. Or we're going to take him down uh, and call in a response team to come and uh, take take him in the apartment. So because we don't want to go into the apartment. We don't want him to get back to the car. We'll just set up in case he comes out. So Micah and I were actually headed to the breezeway to go find out which apartment he walked into. Um, and that's when uh, the dude, Sedina, actually came out of the breezeway and looks at us. And we're like, did he make us? No. no. Okay. So we'll just keep walking. Uh, and he starts walking towards us. So uh, for clarification, uh, Emmanuel Latina is the guy who we got into the shooting with. So um, he, 
we've talked with his family since then. His family's uh, just dude had a really rough time. So, you know, we just we're like, hey, OK, so, um, you know, he just chose a really uh, bad path. And we had other deputies who he went to a high school here in town and uh, we had a couple of SRO deputies that tried to work with him and he just didn't respond to anything. So anyway, so he uh, um, so we're walking towards Zatina. Um, Zatina is walking towards us and we got the order. If he tries to go back to the car, you have to take him. So our standard operating procedure is if they, if we get the chance, we would grab them. We would basically throw out the placards and say sheriff's office or, um, police don't move. You're under arrest, that kind of thing. So Zatina gets shoulder and shoulder with me. Um, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to grab him. And Mike is like a few steps behind me. So I grab a hold of him and I yell out police. Uh, and before I could say anything else, uh, just, I, I feel a smack on my left hip. And I was like, what the heck? Like, did this dude just punch me in the hip? Um, but it, it was so, it was so forceful that I was like, Oh my gosh, that was that, that hit hard. Um, so, um, I remember fighting over, uh, or fighting to keep his hands in his hoodie pocket because his hands were in his hoodie. Um, everything. So I'm fighting to keep his hands in the hoodie. He gets his right hand free, uh, and starts trying to lift it up. And I thought it at the time, I thought he was trying to punch me in the head. Um, so I was like, no, I got to keep his hand away from my head and everything. So I'm fighting him to keep it away. I can start to feel like all of a sudden my legs are starting to fall out from underneath me. And I was like, what is going on? And I remember, um, right about when I got, uh, he got his hand, he was getting his hand pretty close and I got his hand right about here. Micah jumped in and grabbed a hold of his hand. Um, and all of a sudden I just hit the deck. Like I could, I couldn't hold on to my legs any longer. I lost all feeling below my hip. Uh, and Micah and him started struggling. And then I hear a gunshot go off and I was like, who shot a gun? Like who's shooting? So I start to like roll over cause I'm getting my gun. I'm still on the floor and I'm trying to get up and I can't. Um, my, I see Micah go down. One of our other partners, Mike, uh, Marcus Yanez, he jumps in, uh, and he tackles the dude and I hear another gunshot. And so like, I'm like, crap, I need to get into this fight, man. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get my gun out. I'm trying to sit up to like, see what's going on. And I'm having a hard time sitting up. And then all of a sudden I hear like, um, two more gunshots and I'm like, what the heck? And I see, uh, my one of our partners, Trey, coming running over, and he's he's shooting. Uh, I hear another gunshot, and all of a sudden, I see T- Zatina's arm come up, and he, I'm like, oh shoot, he's he's got a gun. So I'm like, so I'm getting ready to engage, and I remember squeezing the trigger once at him, but I was like, I need to squeeze off of probably a round, and so I started squeezing the trigger. I remember, I remember feeling the round go off. Um, there's some debate whether it actually went off or not, but I mean that it was happening so quick, but then I realized Mike is laying in between Zatina and I. So I'm like, I can't shoot again. Or I'm going to have to be really careful because I don't want to hit Micah. And so, um, and then uh, a few other guys came in, they were able to do their thing. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. It was quiet. And I remember looking up and Zatina is no longer moving. Um, Yenit had like fall, fell down and like was uh, looking at him. And then 
two, three seconds later, I hear my buddy, uh, John Watts, who was on our team, uh, yell, stay with me, Micah. And I was like, uh-oh, something bad happened to Micah. Not even realizing I'm shot at this point. Like, I just know that I can't feel my legs. And I'm like, all right. So I'm going to um, I'm gonna try to get up. And I remember trying to sit up, and I'm like, okay, I can't. So let me put away my gun, and let's see if I can lift myself up. So I remember putting away my gun, trying to lift up, and I'm like, okay, something's wrong. So now I need to do a self-assessment. And so I remember uh, going over my left side with my hand and saying, okay, there's blood. I remember feeling something wet in between my legs. And I remember like from training, they told me if you ever get shot or in like that kind of situation, if you have anything in your bladder, it's probably going to dump. Like, so I was like, all right. So I remember feeling my crotch and looking and I'm like, okay, no blood. So I go over my backside where I felt like I had like this hot rock. I felt like I, like maybe one of the cartridges fell down my uh, shorts or something. And so like, I don't see any blood. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's just, I don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll go from there. And I remember something just kick, kicked in at that point of my bowels will dump. So I know I peed myself, but did I poop myself? And so like, I remember kind of like squirming as I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't feel poop. I think we're good. So uh, <laughs> I know that sounds weird. I'm bleeding. I'm more worried that I poop myself. Than this whole That's thing. important. <laughs> this, this is a very big deal. Like, this is why mothers so, tell you, make sure you have clean right. underwear when you go out. <laughs> right, right. Right. Like, Oh my gosh. So I was like, all right. So bleeding a little bit. So I said, uh, I remember yelling for Jake. Uh, my buddy, Mike Boggs came over to me um, and he's like, Scott, stay down. You're hit. I was like, okay. And he's like, so he starts feeling around me. He feels, or he, I said, my left side, I'm hit on my left side near my hip. And he's like, okay. So he, I remember him, um, like, I found it, stay still. And he's like, does it hurt anywhere else? I'm like, on my, um, near my butt. And he's like, okay. I'm like, I think it's just a shell though. And he's, so he looks, he looks, he's like, there's nothing there. I'm just going to keep pressure on the wound. And I'm like, okay. Um, so he starts putting pressure on. And then I remember uh, hearing or looking over. And there was this dude sit sit like on the ground and he's like, can someone please help me? And I was like, who is that? And later on, we found out it was a bystander who happened to walk through, started walking through the area as we were involved in the shooting. And I was like, where did he come from? Like, we didn't even see him before all this started going down. Um, and I remember hearing Stephanie Chris on the radio started um, uh, saying, you know, code 20 officers down. Uh, we need assistance immediately. Uh, Jake came over to me. Mike started, uh, went over to help the bystander. Jake came over to me and I remember him feeling, feeling all over me seeing if there was anything else. And he's like, Scott, this is going to hurt. And I was like, what? And he sticks his finger in me. And I was like, Oh, I wanted to punch him so bad. Mm. So and I was like, so he's like, yeah, we need to keep pressure on. We need to stop the, stop the bleeding so i was like all right uh so he's doing his thing he's like don't i remember looking at him and i'm just like dude this is this is not good um and i remember things kind of starting to go technicolor like looking up at the sky think like the sky started going from blue to gray and that kind of thing mm. and i was like oh man god i am you can't let me die in this dirty dank parking lot like it's not god i can't die here and so, um, 
I was like, plus, God, if you, like, my wife will be so pissed if I die before I give her another baby. <laughs> and so, <laughs> the things that go through your head. Motivation. I'm like, yep. I'm like yep. dude, but I, I came to the determination. That, like, I'm not dying today. I'm not, this is not happening. So, so I was like, all right, um, I'm going to make it through it. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to let. I'm not going to pass out. Like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do what I have to do right now to survive this. And then I remember hearing, drop the weapon, drop the weapon. And I'm like, we're seriously getting engaged again? Who the, who the hell is it now? It turns out somebody, like, had walked out of their apartment because they heard the gunfire. And so, like, they brought their gun out. And, like, so, um, and one of my buddies jumped on top of me to keep me safe. And I was like, stop it. I've got to get my gun out. And he's like, no, stay still, stay still. I'm like, you stay still, shut up. Let me do my thing. And so they, the, a ton of people are starting to come. I remember a CSPD officer showing up and like grabbing his med kit. And they're like, we need to put a tourniquet on him. And they're like, it's too high on, uh, on his hip. We can't put a tourniquet on him. And so they're like, well, we need, uh, Scott, we're going to have to put some quick clot on you. And we have the granial stuff for the, these Ooh. just emergency trauma kits. Mm-hmm. And so they poured it in, um, it caused a lot of issues, which I'll get into later. Um, but I mean, it kept me from bleeding out, but yeah. So we, they stopped some of the bleeding. They loaded Mike up. They loaded uh, the bystander Villanueva up. Uh, and then they loaded me up in an ambulance. Um, from what I understood, it was uh, Micah went first, then, uh, then Villanueva, then me. And then I found out that Satina had died on scene. He had been, shot uh, multiple times and he just he ended up succumbing to his injury so they just they tried life-saving measures it was done at that point so and i remember when they were loading me up on in the ambulance uh they the standard protocol is they're going to put a deputy with you or an officer with you so um a deputy i knew cat uh houston uh got loaded up and this was a female deputy so mind you Right before I get loaded up in the de- uh, in the ambulance, the EMT says, hey, Scott, I'm going to have to cut off your coast to see if there's any other injuries. And I was like, it's February. And he's like, I understand, but I'm going to have to cut off your clothes. Oh. So and he cut off a lot of clothes and I was very wearing very loose fitting boxers. So I couldn't feel anything. So now I'm in a parking lot in the middle of February and I'm pretty sure I'm butt naked. So, and I have a bunch of people feeling all over me. And I'm like, <laughs> I have I have nothing left to bear. Like this, like everybody sees sees my junk and everything. So then they load a female deputy up onto the ambulance with me. And I remember uh, as we're headed to the, uh, the hospital, um, Kat's like, Scott, you're going to be fine. You're going to live. And I'm like, Kat, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, no, you're going to live. You're going to live. I'm like, I know. I just, I'm so sorry that they put you on the ambulance with me. And she's like, no, I'm here for you. What do you need? What do you need? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm really sorry. You had to see my balls. <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like, at that point I knew you were going to be okay. So, like, oh, <laughs> so, oh, so we get into the hospital. They rushed me to the OR. Um, and I remember the, one of the craziest things at that point was, um, they get me into the OR room. Um, they're like, one of the nurses is like, 
we're going to prep you for surgery. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. I need your wife's phone number. And I was like, she doesn't have her cell phone on. She's at work. Um, my, don't worry about it. My command staff is going to handle it. And um, they're like, or she's like, no, I need your wife's number. Where does she work? And I was like, I don't know the number to her work. She works for a company called Young Scholars Academy. Uh, and they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll see, search for a phone number. And I was like, don't call her. My command staff will do it. Um, and like the nurse is fighting with me and I'm like, listen, okay, stop trying to call my wife. Don't tell her, let my command staff handle it. They'll go pick her up and everything. And, um, they, they, uh, all of a sudden the nurse, I hear them say, hi, is Ollie on it there? I was like thinking you bitch. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but, um, I was like, I can't believe you just called my wife after I told you several times not to. Wow. And they're like. Um, so then all of a sudden the nurse comes over with the phone, your wife's on the line. You need to tell her that you love her. And I was like, so I'm fighting through the tears. I'm like, honey, I'm okay. I've been, I've been shot. Um, just get to the hospital, um, Memorial central. And she's like, she, I can hear the tears. I'm like, I'll be okay. Do not worry. I love you. Um, and I was so mad later on. I found out, uh, the, what the real reason the nurse did it was because, I had lost so much blood and they weren't sure I was going to make it through surgery. Oh, wow. So they wanted me to be able to tell my wife, I love you and goodbye. And I was like, I guess I'm the dick now. So I'm like, <laughs> I, was like I went back to that nurse and I'm like, I'm sorry if I said bad things to you. I was kind of <laughs> mad. And she's like, it's okay. I get it. Like, I was like, all right. So yeah, they weren't uh, going to tell you that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They weren't going to tell me like, Hey, we didn't think you were going to make it. So we, <laughs> With like, I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Uh, made it through surgery, okay. They said it was like five hours of surgery. I remember waking up, um, seeing my wife and my lieutenant JD Ross uh, with me, and um, I was like, I just, I remember thinking, and I'm like, all right, God, I made a promise. I'll do what you what you want from me. Um, I, you know, you helped me get through that. So that was that was the worst of it now I can go from here. And so, mm-hmm. uh, command staff funneled through, um, all that kind of thing. I kept on asking if Micah was okay. He's, um, nobody would tell me. And then I remember Marcus Janice came in, coming in later that night. Um, and I was like, Hey, how's Micah? And he started getting really choked up. And I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I got, I got hit too. And I was like, Oh man, where'd you get hit? And he's like, in the groin. And I was like, Oh, where are you okay? And he's like, yes. Sorry. Um, we should turn that off. My bad. Um, Marcus says, yeah, I got hit too. Um, and I got in the ground and I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. And I was like, dude, where did you get hit? Like for real? Like what happened? And he's like, um, I got, I got hit in the ground. I'm like, where? And he's like, in, in the testicles. And I was like, Oh man, are you, Oh my gosh, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And like, I hear him, my wife and his wife, they're snickering. And I was like, what happened? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And so my wife leaves or he leaves. And um, my wife tells me he lost one of his, one of his testicles. I'm like, Marcus lost a nut. Oh my gosh, that sucks. Oh I'm like, I'm sitting there laying on the bed. I was like, Oh dude, that is the worst thing. He's got five oh, kids. Man. He's totally fine now. So, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> hey, but, hey, Scott, I, I, 
before we go any further, I want to go back though, because when you're talking yeah. about what's going on, um, you said that when you drew your gun, um, you said you remember pulling the trigger and there's debate whether you actually fired around or not. Is that what I heard? Yeah. So, um, we had, when we were doing that aftermath, there was a round that kind or they had found a round trajectory from basically where I was laying to, uh, the Tina's path. And they're like, did you fire around? And I was like, kind of remember drawing my gun. But at the time, right afterwards, I was very heavily medicated when they actually like did my debrief and when they were interviewing me for everything. And I was like, did I fire that or did I fire the round? I was like, I wasn't sure. They asked me, did you um, like, how many rounds did you have? And I was like, I don't remember loading um, an extra round in the magazine when I like left home, but I could have. And uh, so they were like, there was just so much chaos that there was a lot of evidence that just seemed um, mismatched and they weren't sure exactly. Um, They were able to account for what they believe all of our rounds were and that kind of thing. Um, and just where they went, um, they were able to determine the round that hit the bystander, uh, was from a ricochet from Zatina's weapon, um, hit a back window, hit the bystander, um, in the back, um, that poor guy just, and then he's paralyzed from the chest down from his injuries. And so, um, so like the forensic people did a ton of work, um, just to make sure, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a crazy, crazy ordeal. Okay. All right. All right. So, so what were your injuries then? What was, I know you got hit in the hip, but what's the, what were the injuries at the time? What's the final outcome on the injuries? So, um, I got a GSW to the left hip. Um, it, uh, is actually, um, back in my psoas muscle next to my spinal cord and the main vein that runs up your back. So, um, it's a nine millimeter. Uh, I got the Zatina was using a, uh, nine millimeter hollow point or excuse me, not hollow point, uh, high power, uh, little Browning, uh, pistol. So, um, he just, it was actually, I think they said that it was um, stolen in a, um, in a home, uh, a home burglary and everything. So he was using that. Um, I, so I mentioned the quick lot earlier. Um, yeah. So they poured the quick lot into my, uh, into the wound. It caused a, um, a um, blood clot from my foot to my lower back. Um, and so they, it completely destroyed the iliac vein in my left leg. So I only have, um, about 25% function in my left leg now. So like going upstairs, like I've got to like go sideways and do like the shuffle hop thing and like oh. everything. So, um, I don't have full function in my back just because of the bullet and everything. And then, um, I have limited function in my hip, um, and my hip flexor because of it. Um, I, originally wasn't supposed to be on blood thinner for the rest of my life. Uh, now I have to be just because of uh, how much there's only like 3% um, uh, flow rate through my iliac vein in my left leg. So I got to take blood thinners and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay. So not super awesome, but you know what? That's okay. So, right. Yeah. And that, that quick clot you're talking about, that's the stuff that the military had been using where it um, basically tries to cauterize the, the injury so it keeps burning is that yeah am i right on that yeah i will tell you this uh, to your listeners to everybody who's listening if you have granule quick clot 
It is better than nothing. But if you get the chance, throw that stuff away and get the gauze infused or impregnated quick clot. Yep. Um, it is so much cleaner. Um, it is so much better uh, for you. you. It will save your life. The granule stuff will save your life in a pinch, but um, you are going to have a lot more uh, issues afterwards than if you right. were just to get the uh, gauze impregnated stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't even think they make that quick clot, the granule stuff anymore. I think they had too many problems with that. So yeah, yeah hey. they shouldn't be, but that's why you don't go on eBay and buy your stuff. Like <laughs> You're going to get it. Right. Get, get the real stuff. Hey guys, this is Steve Gould, host of the Things Police See podcast. I want to let you know the Police Applicant podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, is now offering additional members-only content for only $4.99 per month. The new subscribers-only content will feature additional episodes hosted by Ken, Donovan, and Minerva, early access to podcast episodes, special members-only YouTube content, and private meet-and-greets with the hosts and other fans. The podcast episode will still be free every two weeks, but can you believe all this extra content for only $4.99 per month? The perks are fantastic, and you'll also be supporting the valuable work our hosts provide to you. Let's face it, guys. We need people to become cops. We need these guys to guide them through it, to motivate them, to inspire them to do so. You can also support the podcast with one-time and monthly donations. The links for subscribing and donations are in the show notes in the podcast page at policebackground.net. Also, if you're interested in a podcast that concentrates on police war stories and what the men and women of law enforcement face on a day-to-day basis, please check out the Things Police See podcast on all podcast platforms or go to thingspolicesee.com. All right, we are back. Donovan. Yeah. So, so let's talk about, uh, your recovery then. How long was recovery? I mean, and, and what's the final, I mean, you gave us a little bit of the final outcome, but how long did it take to get to where, um, they said you were fully recovered? Um, so I'm actually not fully recovered. Okay. Um, the, I got to the point where they, um, issued a maximum medical improvement. So, um, if you've ever dealt with any kind of workers comp or anything like that, that's basically where they say you will never get past this point. Um, so, so, um, they said, Hey, it took about nine, nine months or so to get to that point where they were like, Hey, um, we're, we're okay with you coming back, um, in a part time or partial duty capacity. Um, so they were like, okay. Um, so we started doing that. I came back, I basically sat at a desk for, uh, for four months and just trying to recover and get back to the point where I could do like a 40 hour work week and that kind of thing. I remember though, when I came back, uh, that first year I hadn't completed in service yet. So I told the command staff, I was like, I'm doing in service, man. I'm not, you ain't taking my post. So, uh, <laughs> so they were like, okay. Like, so they just were like, do what you can. So, um, but yeah, I was like, I'm not giving up. Like I'm going to fight, uh, my goal was eventually to go back to uh, either patrol or detectives, which uh, mm-hmm. I ended up going into detectives. Um, so um, my my ultimate goal uh, at the time was to actually go and do um, VNI and vice narcotics and intelligence full time. So, and that was my one of my goals was one of my career goals. And so I actually was trying to. I actually applied while I was still in recovery uh, 
for them. And I actually got number two spot and they're like, Hey, you know, this person is available. We're, we're going to put you in a slot just in case we have another opening. But uh, I thought that was really cool of them to do. So we, I did that. But when I came back, I start, I worked in backgrounds for a little bit and then they eventually moved me to detectives um, and kept me in detectives for a while. So uh, where I did uh, back uh, missing person. And so, and then I was an assistant to like the homicide unit and that kind of thing. So, and I really enjoyed that. I loved it. Um, so, and I was kind of like in a, I was kind of in a weird limbo area just because I couldn't, I wasn't supposed to um, have full contact. The doctor never released me for full contact with like suspects and stuff like that. But they're like, uh, you can go, you can go and do uh, interviews. You can do all this stuff. You can go be a detective. And so I was like, all right, cool. So not to put down the detectives, the detectives have a very important role, but Mm -hmm. we got to admit detectives sit behind a desk a lot more Mm. than a patrol guy. So you you mean, it's not like what you see on TV. No. Oh gosh. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're never able to get back to patrol then at all. I was not. Uh, so, but I don't have any really hard feelings with that because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love my time in patrol and, uh, but I always wanted, I always was looking to advance um, my career and do uh, detectives in full time. So, because when I was doing the battle stuff and like the uniform gangs and narcotic stuff, it was like part time work. And I was like, mm-hmm. I never do part time. I wouldn't be a full time detective. So, Right. So let's talk about then we talk about recovery when it comes to recovery. Um, there's a mental health aspect to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've had my troubles and we know that it, it takes a little bit. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it takes months before it actually hits you. How long did it take before the mental health aspect, the the actual trauma from that incident um, for you to actually realize that, hey, this is actually affecting me? I would say it almost took me six months. Um, I was so, I had so many medications on board. Like tell me that, like, I remember even sitting there during Micah's funeral. Um, and I was in the hospital watching, watching everything go down. I was up and getting like a blood transfusion. Um, and it didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me what I was watching. Um, because it just didn't feel real. Like nothing about any of that felt real. Um, so about six months into it, I remember waking up and having like these weird dreams, everything from like I being on the, like the uh, operating table and like having the doctor open up my eye and like be like, yeah, he's still in there. Um, that was like really creepy dream mm-hmm. uh, compared to or everything to like having are thinking about the shooting, like the what ifs, like, should I have done something differently? Should I, if I would have hang it, hung in there for one more second, could it have changed everything? So Micah, when he got hit, uh, when he got the gun in the air, he was keeping Zatina from doming me uh, right. with the gun. So, uh, so when he got the gun up in the air, he's fighting to keep the gun away from my head. And it actually got turned downwards because Zatina's trying to pull it towards him. And the gun just happened to go off. It caught Micah in the trach uh, or the trachea and it came out mm-hmm. his lower back. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, yeah. So just devastating injury. Uh, so my thought process from there on was almost like, what could I have done differently that would have saved Micah? Um, should I have not even contacted um, Zatina? Should I have just uh, waited? And um, I've been through this with uh, Jake and uh, the my sergeant from EPSO when at the time, um, and everybody just like about it. And I just it was it was surreal. Like it was crazy just seeing, uh, thinking about like what could I have done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, should I have done something differently? And it messes with you. It it messes with right. your head. So, so did right, right. Did you um? So you had the PTSD from getting shot. Was there, I'm trying to think of how to word this, Donovan, where is there PTSD related to survivor guilt or the fact that, that Micah died? Was there something related to that that got in your head as well? Oh, every time, man, Mm -hmm. I can't see Micah's kids without feeling some sort of guilt, um, knowing that I'm here for my kids and he's not, um, and that, that'll haunt me for the rest of my life. It, we always talk about trauma with law enforcement, just in general, like the stuff we see, um, you go to bed and like, you see the, you see the dead, dead kids, the dead, um, the guy who hung himself, uh, uh, the kid who just lost a parent or something like that, or walked in on a, or the parents who walked in on a suicide or something like that of their kid. And knowing or no, getting to know Micah's family afterwards and that kind of thing. And just like what they went through afterwards, that will, that will always kind of haunt me. Um, and knowing that I'm here, Mike is not, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's tough to go grow up with that. I've also got another aspect of that. My dad lost his dad from line of duty death at seven years old. Micah's mm-hmm. twins were seven mm-hmm. when Micah died. Man. So it adds a whole nother layer of, dim- uh, of dimension to that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was crazy. I actually met my dad, another deputy about a week uh, before this whole incident in Colorado, there was, there was three deputies who died with like a month or got killed within like a month and a half of each other. Mm-hmm. It was Zach Parrish, uh, Heath Gunn, and then Micah Flick. Um, we had literally just got done uh, laying to rest, um, Zach Parrish, uh, and then Heath gum died like a week to Micah's incident. And I remember messaging my dad was like, um, cause I remember seeing Zach's kids, uh, or excuse me. Um, he, yeah, Zach's kids, uh, there. And I was like, I, I messaged my dad and I was like, Hey, do you remember your dad's funeral? And he's like, like it was yesterday. Um, and we were going to talk about it and I was like, Hey, I'll see you. I'll see you later. We'll talk. I want to talk more about this. And he's like, okay. And then two days later I get shot and he's like, that was super eerie son. And don't you ever do that to me again? Mm-hmm. So wow. and I was like, okay. So, but yeah, so, there's. So ahead. when, you, when you're talking about that, you know, and I get the, I don't know if it's a privilege or not, but talk to our recruits at the Academy about trauma, how it affects you um, in the moment that, that things are going on. And then after that, so w- during that struggle, when you, for, when you said, Oh man, I thought he punched me in the hip or whatever. Did, mm. did you ever hear a gunshot or no? Yes. I remember hearing 
what I thought was a gunshot, but I was like, I was super, that was kind of the confusion that happened. Like when I got hit in the hip, I was remember hearing that, um, or hearing a loud pop. And I was like, was that a gunshot? Uh, right. But I'm so focused on hyper-focused on this dude's arm or hands now. And I have no idea why, like, but that was going through my head was I need to keep this guy's hands under control. Uh, Cause something bad's happening. And so, right. yeah, that was my whole, my whole thing. Yeah. Cause that's always an interesting thing. When you talk to officers involved, some hear the gunshot, some don't um, that I've talked to one where he just heard the, uh, when he fired his gun, he just heard the rounds clinking on the ground. He never heard the gun go off. He just mm. heard the rounds clinking and that's it. So that's always, uh, always fascinating to talk to officers who are involved in these, you know, what they hear, what they don't hear. I heard, I remember hearing everybody else's gun, but mine. Um, mm-hmm. That was what was crazy to me is like, cause I remember squeezing the trigger, but it was almost like, have you ever had one of those dreams where like you're pulling the trigger and nothing's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Dude. Uh-huh. It, I swear it was exactly like that. Like Gosh. I was, I remember squeezing that trigger and nothing happened. And I was like, Oh crap. And then I remember seeing like kind of doing the scan um, looking at my gun, looking through everything. And I saw Micah through my blurry vision, my freaking not being able to see anything. I was like, Oh, Hey crap. Micah's right there. I need to be careful. I need to be, be careful if I'm going to fire another round. Like I need to make sure that I'm hitting Zatina. So mm-hmm. did you, uh, I'm sorry, Donovan, did you, um, as you know, when they talk about police shootings, they always, I always hear about it's like slow motion, but in your case, did, did you, as time went on, did little bits of the incident come back to you or did you just, you, your recall was what it was? Um, the biggest part that like came back over time was actually me squeezing the trigger at first. Like I, I could have, I wouldn't have, I had no idea. I knew I pulled my gun at one point, but I had no idea what I did. And that's what came back to me later um, was actually pulling my gun, pulling the trigger and been like, I don't remember hearing a shot. Like, and that kind of started coming to me. I, I could recall almost everything that happened to me uh, throughout that entire incident um, to the point where even like through my uh, narcotic induced, like, stupor while the detectives were trying to interview me for everything um recalled like bits and pieces they had no idea like they were like oh we didn't know that part now so they're like taking notes from me and everything but um yeah so mine mine felt a little differently like i just remembered a ton of what happened i don't know why i i have no idea um because i've heard that from other guys too that they everything happened like so slowly that um, they kind of remembered stuff and then stuff was already come back to them. Mine definitely happened slowly, but I remembered so much of it um, that it really all was just like, it was pieced together in my head. I just, which is crazy. I just like, it didn't emotionally hit me until a lot later, which was insane. All right. And then, so with you had the PTSD from the incident. Did you also suffer from some cumulative PTSD as well? As far as incidents that happened on the job before? Did that come back? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um I had been shot at uh at least once before um this incident. Um 
So that kind of came back to me. I remember this one time and like the one that like stood out to me the most. Uh, I was on my way home one night from a uh, shift. Uh, I see this Dodge Durango basically pull out, hit up the street light and everything and like start going on the roadway. And I remember chasing this Dodge Durango in the middle of Colorado Springs at like 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, car ends up crashing uh, and everything. Uh, we jump out. Uh, some CSPD guys happened to be see what was going on. So they come and join, uh, came and joined me. And it turns out it was a 10-year-old kid uh, who was driving the car. He stole his mom's car. And so he was going out for a toy ride. I remember blood coming down his face and everything. And I remember like that because um, I didn't think that kid was going to live. He ended up di- living. He had a bunch of TBI issues and that kind of thing after the fact. But I remember that for whatever reason played a huge, uh, huge factor in um, my trauma and like dealing with what was going on with Micah and everything. Um, is that kind of what you were asking about? Yeah. 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 There's other things like for me, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that came back from my time working internet crimes against children and all that kind of stuff. It was my incident actually opened up the floodgate to all that, you know, because when I got in it and I don't know how long, you know, uh, if you got in it, the same uh, philosophy, but you know, all that stuff, you just push it down, just hide it away and, and don't deal with it. And, you know, then an incident like that happens and it just, it opens up the door and everything just comes, comes screaming out at times, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man, we're, we are our own worst enemy because we tell everybody to, um, I mean, we, we do the monkey see monkey do what, right. how have they always dealt with it? Just push it down. Just go to the next call. Like, oh, you have an issue with it, deal with it afterwards. Um, and that, I mean, gosh, I, I tried to do that for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. the, one of the great things El Paso County Sheriff's office did, um, that we don't, that a lot of people don't give them enough credit for it. We had an on staff psychologist pretty early on when I started and she's, she was there for years and years and years and that kind of thing. But she uh, had autonomy from the actual command staff. So she was one of those ones. She like, she would go to staff meetings, but whatever you said to her actually stayed between you and her. She wouldn't do the fit for duty stuff. She wouldn't do any of the, other things she literally was just there to support the deputies and their families and her, her name is dr sharon trevette she actually just recently retired um she she helped me get through that big time um and i didn't have to worry about that and that's mm-hmm. that's something if if an agency don't have that um they need to they need mm-hmm. to look at that um because that is going to be the your biggest asset when it comes to the fight against mental health and law enforcement. So we have yeah. not had a suicide at the sheriff's office mm. for like 10 or 15 years wow. because of this woman. Yeah. It's yeah. very cool. We're going to, yeah. uh, we're going to have a part two actually with Scott mm-hmm. about PTSD and, and, um, and uh, the department aftermath, um, how departments handle the, uh, you know, how they take care of their, their deputies and officers. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention is we did a, uh, Donovan and I did a, ep- an episode with Megan McCarthy. She was a San Bernardino, California deputy sheriff that um, got shot at close range from a guy. And then they, the justice system, justice system did her wrong. But um, with that was, I was listening to them talk about the PTSD and, 
and uh, the changes that have occurred over the years and just the stuff that you guys have available to you. And I'm really, I'm really thankful that, that Scott, you and Donovan have the resources that you have. And I'm, I'm hoping that um, our listeners, that they become aware after listening to all of our episodes and things like that, that you need to pay attention to mental health before you get on the job and know what the resources are and what the potential things that can happen. So I'm very thankful that there's the the doctor that you had and Donovan, the, the resources that you guys have. I think that's amazing today. Yeah, it's, it's huge, man. It's huge. Guys, guys coming into the career field, they think that it's all, it's all the macho stuff. It's driving fast, uh, you know, resting bad guys, chasing bad guys and shooting guns and that kind of thing. And um, some of those days are gone. Some of it's still here, but there it's going to play a mental toll on you. Whatever you give out, you're going to take back in mentally. And so you've got to have those outlets and you've got to use those outlets. A lot of agencies are hopping on board with this stuff and it's not, it's not, it is not, I can't say that enough. It's not a weakness to certain, so seek those resources out. It's actually a strength to be able to say, Hey, everything's not okay. And I think I need to address this. Yeah. So, right. Right. Yeah. So I'm excited yep. about, about the second episode we're going to do, mm-hmm. but you, uh, Scott, you and uh, Donovan have a lot in common. You were both <laughs> shot. Uh, you both, uh, um, I think, uh, medically as far as, as retirement goes and all that. And then, um, you both became polygraph examiners, and there, I thought there was a Wisconsin connection there too, because Donovan's from Wisconsin. I, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. sorry, man, not Wisconsin. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I'm interested uh, in in what you know, comparing notes between you guys and your polygraph stuff, and and your training and all that, and just uh, how, how did you get into polygraph work? So one of the things um, that when I came back from the shooting, they were trying to, uh, the agency was trying to decide what to do with me. Um, and the sheriff's office here had used CVSA for a long time. Uh, and Bill Elder at the time was like, hey, you know what? I kind of want to explore doing polygraph again. Never really liked CVSA. want to kind of stripped away from it. So he sent me to polygraph school. Um, I went to uh a lady by the name of Pam Shaw. She runs the National Polygraph <laughs> Academy. Is that where you went, dude? Nope. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know about Pam though. Pam is Pam yeah. is uh, very big into the polygraph field. Yes. Yes, she is. She is a huge name in polygraph. Mm-hmm. So, um, I went to her school, and you know, man, it was it was eleven weeks of just uh, a lot of classroom stuff, and I did it in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I love the guys at Little Rock, but uh, we did it at the state police barracks. And I remember having inmates from the state prison come in and making us meals. And I was like, oh, cool. Dude, they do stuff. They do stuff so differently in Arkansas. These dudes drove themselves to the state police barracks from the prison. And like me and a couple other dudes are like, what? Like mm-hmm. the inmates, like it, it, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. Like the inmates drove themselves to the state from the state prison to the <laughs> police barracks. Huh. 
And like, we're not talking about low level offenders. Like one dude was like, we're like, so what'd you do, man? And he's like, I murdered my cousin. And then we're like, what? Wow. <laughs> he's like, do you want a pork chop? I'm like, not from you. <laughs> don't let, uh, don't let uh, California oh. uh, Governor Newsom hear about that. Right? <laughs> oh my gosh, man. That like, doesn't yeah. even, that's crazy, man. Yeah. For guys who like, in some states, like some guys who have never heard of that, like they see that and they're like, they're freaking out. Like, like, should, should I be like, should I be like drawing down on somebody? Like this teammate <laughs> just got into this car and drove away. Like, yeah. Oh. yeah. oh man. But no, I loved it. I had so much fun. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to it. And that, um, I started, I did it for the agency for a while. Um, the sheriff encouraged me to open up a private business doing it so and i've been doing it uh privately but i have some contracts with some local agencies out here and everything um which is really cool so i enjoy doing it um so it's it was i was not expecting to go to polygraph school it wasn't like i was like sitting there and was like i want to be a polygraph examiner that sounds like (laughs) sounds really cool so (laughs) yeah Everybody well, likes polygraph examiners. That's the that's the difference between us. I was like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. I think I want to go do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, I love it now that I'm in it. Like this, right. when I when I went in, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is really cool and everything. But yeah, like it was it wasn't even on my radar. God had thrown that uh, into my wheelhouse, and like um, I actually wanted to go. This is gonna sound crazy. I'm, but I wanted to go and become like the certified fraud, uh, a forensic fraud investigator. Mm. And yeah. So I was like, I want to go do that. I want to go learn numbers. And then everybody's like, you're nuts. So, <laughs> they're like, we're going to send you a polygraph school instead. And I was like, Oh darn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you go learn physiology and, and psychology, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, Yeah. I talked to Dude. I talked to candidates. I think there's two types of back of uh, polygraph examiners. There's the ones that are you're either hated or you're loved. You know, you say, "Hey, so how'd your poly go?" Yeah, it was great. The polygraph examiner was great. I passed. Yeah, I hate the polygraph examiner. He was a jerk. I failed. You know, so it's mm-hmm. one or the other. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so funny. It's so mm-hmm. funny listening to applicants. So now I get like I get other agencies and that kind of thing now. So I got a bunch of agencies come to me and i'm like oh hey did you do a polygraph with this agency and they're like yeah like what'd you think of the polygraph examiner and they're like (laughs) it was like this guy who was 90 and we were sitting in a dark room and he turns on a light and i was like oh okay (laughs) that's weird Uh, here's some weird stories man Uh uh-huh yeah yeah (laughs) so are are pre-employment polygraphs required for police officers in Colorado or no? They are not. So, um, yeah, the only thing that is required by post is the psychological exam, um, a physical fitness and uh, applicant screening process. So they don't they don't specify to the agencies how that is going to happen. So but I have agencies that really love it. I actually just got done talking with um, an agency here locally. I met with their commander and they're like, um, part of the reason why we hired you is because we want your honest opinion. You did this for a while. We want to know what you actually think of this guy or this gal coming in and applying for us. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and what's going on and with them and like do they feel like they would be a good fit for this agency uh and i tell people not every agency you're not going to fit in at every agency if you get um, turned down from an agency it may just because you're not you your personality doesn't mesh that well with that one so there's nothing wrong with that so don't get discouraged just keep keep going Mm -hmm. so yeah 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 yeah. So what, what, what's the majority type of polygraph that you do then? Is it mostly pre-employment or do you get into the, those, the, the those, sex stuff? The <laughs> you know, <laughs> thinking, uh, 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 Donovan, he, he was just sitting there smiling. He didn't even finish his sentence and Scott goes, the sex ones. <laughs> the sex ones. Yeah. I didn't know it was like yeah. that. Oh dude. Oh man. Yeah. So I do, uh I would say probably the majority of my polygraphs are probably infidelity and sex therapy or addiction therapy. So like on the stuff I do, um, I actually work for a couple of different uh, therapy offices. So people can defeat UAs, people can defeat uh, drug analysis stuff, all sort all over the board. It's a lot harder to defeat the polygraph. So, um, and I've done stuff for physicians, healthcare programs, I've does, done stuff for like um, people who have had infidelity in their marriage uh, and that kind of thing. And I also actually do it a lot for attorneys. Um, so I'll do speci- what are called specific issue tests uh, for these attorneys. They'll basically before pre in Colorado, we can't and for criminal purposes, we can only use the polygraph for pre uh, plea bargaining issues and that kind of thing or to dismiss witnesses. So I'll have attorneys call me up a lot of times, like a defense attorney or a um, prosecutor who says, hey, this guy agreed to a polygraph. We don't have necessarily have enough to go forward, but we want to see if he's going to pass the polygraph to see where we go from there. So and I get it all the time. So um, same thing with uh, Department of Human Services out here. Kid gets taken away from their family uh, because they're claiming something. Uh, division of uh youth services want would ask the parents to basically take a polygraph to be able to show if they're doing this or not so i'll do that okay. kind of stuff so uh every now and then i'll do ia polygraphs for agencies along with pre-employments mm-hmm. uh, so that's probably about 30 percent of my business so okay. uh, uh and i i get a kick out of those so because <laughs> all it is is infidelity just within the agency now Oh my! <laughs> I didn't know IAs use polys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, they... some, some agencies do. So mm-hmm. some some agencies they just get to the point where they're like, I can't tell which is which. We think both of them are lying, and we, I, I don't know who to believe in this kind of situation. Um, and it's usually involving something that they did off duty that mm-hmm. they did something stupid. They went and hooked up with someone's wife or someone's boyfriend and now all of a sudden they got this and all of a sudden somebody comes back and says it wasn't consensual or that's not how it happened and that kind of thing so they need something to be able just to show a preponderance of the evidence uh that this is most likely what happened can they can they order them to to a poly yes wow yeah so if you read and that's the thing you got to be aware of the agency that you're going you're applying for that kind of thing, read the fine print in the policies because there's a lot of agencies that have it somewhere in their IA thing that says if you are, uh, if your command staff orders you to take a truth verification, 
um, you have to comply and it falls under Garrity. But if you uh, if you at any time refuse to comply or refuse the polygraph, um, it's a terminatable of uh, disobey to order. Wow. That doesn't yeah. even, that doesn't feel legal somehow, but that's it's weird. the same with physicians though, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of these states, if you have a physician's license and you're accused of doing something unethical or immoral, um, say you're addicted to pain medication or something like that, and you're basically skimping off of your drugs and everything, they can force you to take a poly to show if you're actually doing it or not. Is so, that is that the same in, in mm-hmm. Washington, Donovan? Um, I haven't gotten too far into it, but um, I do know that they have used them for internals at some agencies. So, yeah. Yo, wow. That's pretty crazy. I've never, I mean, mm-hmm. in California, it's, it's unheard of. You would never hear of an IA having a poly. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's good advice. Before you join a department, make sure the IA is not allowed to do polys, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if. If you do apply, just know that that's the that's the case. But I mean, it goes back to the whole thing of just being aware of how you're acting. Like you're going to be a representative of that agency. Some agencies uh, care about what you do off off duty a lot. Some agencies don't care as much. But um, you know, just be be mindful. You're you're in a profession. Um, you're not in a. It's not a job. So just be aware of how, how you represent yourself, um, even off duty. So. That's a huge thing. So, yeah, you bring up a very good. You bring up a, an important, an important um, issue too. Uh, when I was doing when I was doing backgrounds, I did a um, a background for for someone who had who had there was a CHP connection and and um, California Highway Patrol, but on LAPD you could you could get beefed by your neighbor. You know, your neighbor mm-hmm. doesn't like something and mm-hmm. they call up your department, go, yeah, your officer, blah, blah, blah. And you can take days off uh, for being off duty. And just because you got an argument with somebody and I, and I went to the CHP and I was talking to the, uh, to the sergeant there during the background. And I said, yeah, so, so your, your officer did this and whatever and, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and the, <laughs> the sergeant looks at me and he goes, so he's on his own time. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm thinking that's unheard of. Is that the same mm-hmm. on your departments? Can you get in trouble off duty? Um, the at the SO, yes, absolutely. Uh, EPSO, we guys were uh, constantly getting in trouble for stuff they did off duty. I know some of the smaller agencies that I've like worked with. Um, they really didn't care what you do off duty as long as you didn't pull out your badge or say you were a cop. They they could care less. So. Yeah. Same with us. I mean, but if, I mean, if it's serious enough, you're going to get in trouble for it. There's some things they don't care about, but. Yeah. No, they get you for conduct, conduct unbecoming Kubo. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just say that you don't identify yourself and you tell someone to F off, you know, you, something happens. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you should get in trouble for it, but Hey, that's just me. No. Right. Um, no. Well, cool. This has been a really great interview and I can't wait for part two in closing. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, what would you say to people who want to be police officers today? I would say uh, memorize the acronym WIN, uh, what's important now. So you are going to be faced with situations, whether it's a shooting, whether it's uh, a situation where you deal with the traumas just of the job, and it's going to wear on you mentally, physically, um, and spiritually. 
but you need to always remember that you're going to win that scenario. Um, have that winning mindset. We, we, we harp on uh, new guys with it all the time, um, but you need to find what makes you want to survive. For me, it was my family. For me, it was um, my spiritual uh, connection. I am, I am a Christian. I am, I believe God is guiding me through this. Um, if you're not, if you don't have your family, if you don't have a spiritual connection, you need to find something that you're going to make sure that you survive no matter what comes your way uh, and keep to that mindset. Never forget it. Put it on the, put a post-it note on your uh, mirror in the morning that says, I'm going to survive today. I'm going to win no matter what. Um, and that's the mindset that you need to have as a cop. And you need to never forget it, uh, that you will win, that you will survive. Um, and you're going to do whatever you need to, to do that uh, throughout everything. Uh, whether that's seeking help from a uh, therapist, whether that's going to the doctor and figuring out what you can do to better yourself, uh, whether that's going to the gym, whether that's spending time with your family, you need to win and survive. Absolutely good words. Donovan, mm -hmm. I, I've, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. What, what, after you got shot, what kept you going in, in the aftermath? And the aftermath, um, boy, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, there was a lot that kept me going. I mean, I needed to keep going for my family. Um, Special Olympics, I mean, as you know, is a huge part for me. And the amount of outpouring of support and everything from literally from across the country, from athletes and people involved in law enforcement torture on um, sending their support, that was, that was a big thing for me. Yeah. Scott, I don't know if I ever told you that Donovan – I uh, got shot in the stomach. So um that that's a that's a whole interesting story in itself but um yeah, I mean the the will to survive and and everything. I think police applicants need to be aware of and we talk about this all the time in that if you don't have the mentality going into the academy that you're not going to bleed out in the street, you need to you need to know already that that's just not going to happen. And both of you guys are great examples of the will to survive and uh, and what it takes but i wish i hope that our listeners just get an understanding like we talked earlier it's not hollywood it's not the movies you know you don't get in shooting and 30 minutes later you're on the field eating lunch and goofing off with your partner again it doesn't work like that there's some realities to it but scott thanks for being here really appreciate you sharing your story um i think uh, donovan i think this is the first time we've ever had anybody that lost a partner um, yes yep yeah that's uh and and for our listeners look up uh, a previous episode with rachel flick about micah and um uh, and what it what happens when you lose your officer in the family so right uh donovan do you have anything in closing no i just i i it really enjoyed scott's um, story and um, you know how he's come out at the end of it and uh, persevered and gotten into a field that now I am truly starting to love. So, yeah, you know, you and me. You know, the additional thing I was thinking it wasn't Wisconsin. It turns out um, it was. Uh, you guys were both background investigators too. Is there oh, yeah. anything else that you guys have in common? That's crazy. Um, but thank you so much. I'm sorry. What? Uh, go ahead. 
I was going to say, apparently him and I are brothers from another mother. Bro. <laughs> right. Right. Twinsies. Oh, coming up. We're going to have a drinks and we're just going to talk it all through. Yeah. Like, yeah, bro. right. Right. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate you being here again. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.